0: Well, it's time for us to get into God's Word together. And we're going to have a smattering of verses, uh, like last week. But um, this will lead into our time at the Lord's table. So once again, even as we pray before we get into God's Word, let's ready our hearts uh, for what we're to hear, and also for that time uh, of, of communion together. So please pray with me once more. Dear Heavenly Father, How gracious you are. Thank you so much, God, that our sins are atoned for and covered by the blood of Christ. And truly, it is so sweet uh, to trust in Jesus. And I pray that every person here has placed their faith in a saving way, knowing you um, and loving Christ, God, because of his death on the cross for our sins. And I pray that for everyone who is joining us through the live stream as well right now so thank you god for giving us your word revealing your truth in love for us uh, that we might know it and know you better and seek to make disciples um garnered with with the truth by your grace so um please bless this time now lord as we get into your word and um complete conclude this uh, the topic of the ascension of our precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his name we pray amen all right so this is part two of two of Jesus arose then ascended and uh, I don't want this to be dry doctrine uh, just facts that we know um, about Jesus Christology right we should know and understand these things deeply and know what the Bible says about all of this, but it should not remain um, just intellectual facts and uh, information that we know, but rather that this would spill over into our practical everyday lives. And so I asked in Sunday school earlier, uh, as we approach this topic once again, uh, I wanted to open it up with the question of what is the purpose of the church. And why does the church exist? And we can even bring it closer to home and ask, why does Faith Bible Church exist? And so um, if this was back in this room four in Sunday school class, I would start to entertain answers and um, ask people to offer answers right now. But um, I won't do that because we're not in room four, but we're preaching right now in the worship center. And so I will say this, Hey, the, the main purpose, we should be very, very clear on what our purpose is as a church. And the number one purpose is to worship God. Hey, it is exaltation, a hey, glory to God. So exaltation, worship, glory to God. This is the reason why the church exists. The purpose for us to be here today and every Sunday and any time we get together is to worship our great God and Savior. Okay? Un- underneath that big umbrella of worship, I can give you three other W's. Okay? And it's, it's work, and it's walk, and it's witness. Okay? Underneath the big umbrella of worshiping God, falls those three other reasons for our existence. Okay? It's to work, it's to serve. It's to minister. If you want the, the E, it's, the, it's, it's to equip the saints for the, for the work of service, according to Ephesians chapter 4. Okay? So we're to, to work for the Lord. Our labors are not in vain in the Lord because he's risen. And we're to walk. A walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, our spiritual walks with the Lord, That's what it is to be edified. If you want to E, okay, we have W's, we have E's. However, which way you think about it or remember it, this is our purpose. Okay, we are to, we are to walk in the Spirit, by the Spirit, in the Lord, and progress in our sanctification. Okay, that's part of the reason why the church exists, and why there's pastors and shepherds and discipleship and shepherding and Christians and we were to do this with one another and for one another. And so the last one which our brother Joe senior um, uh, offered in Sunday school was was to witness. Hey, this is our last and not least, hey, we can the order can just be shifted around, but they're all up there, but it's to witness. Hey, the E is evangelize. It's to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to proclaim good news to a lost world. It's to, as Jesus puts it in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is to make disciples of all the nations. And how do we do that? By teaching them, by sharing, by proclaiming, by preaching good news, the gospel, the only message that can save souls and produce disciples of Christ. And we're to teach them all that he has commanded us. Okay? So that is the purpose it's clear it's not complex thank god because i'm not that smart okay it's very clear it's very basic um and yet it ain't easy right it's not easy to do those things is it so we're challenged every day every week Hey, sometimes it's a challenge just to make it here for worship on sunday is it not sometimes i'll confess that even as the pastor all right um, and yet, we have all of these things that are very clear when you look at Scripture, you look at the the Bible, you look at the New Testament, you go back to the Old Testament. All these things are super crystal clear. And yet, yet God is not saying that it's it's easy. And so, thank God uh, we have we have help, and we have wonderful help. And I want this to be encouragement layered upon the encouragements that we received last Sunday about the truth. Of Jesus's ascension and the triumph of Jesus's ascension, and we talked about um, three reasons to rejoice in worship of the ascended Christ, and hopefully those are, are sources of joy even now as we think about Jesus's suffering being over, his humiliation is done with, he's exalted, he's back, glorified in heaven where he was and where he ought to be, he's ruling, he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and incredibly. He's preparing a place for us believers. It's okay, just um, stunning to think that Jesus the Lord is doing that for us. And so today, <clears throat> to conclude our little mini-series here about Jesus' ascension, um, I want to give you three reasons why the ascension matters to our spiritual lives. Okay, and when I say our spiritual lives, I mean to our our work and our walk and our witness. Okay? So three reasons why Jesus' ascension matters to our spiritual lives, and you have, um, you have that in your bulletin there, the outline. So the first reason is because Jesus is now interceding for us as our advocate in heaven. Jesus is now interceding for us as our advocate in heaven. And if you want to turn to 1st John chapter 2, that will be good as we jump around here a little bit today. First John chapter two, verse one. The apostle John writes, "My little children, okay, just uh, young saints, young believers. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate." With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he says there, if and, and if anyone sins, this is speaking of believers. Okay, by the way, and um, just the the type of phrasing that it that he uses, he means if anyone sins, and they will. Okay, it's uh, assumed that people, even Christians, will continue to sin. Um, someone rightly said. Christians are not sinless, but they should sin less. I think that's helpful, but look at God's provision when we do sin. If anyone sins, he says we, note the Apostle John includes himself, right? He says we have an advocate. We have. That's in the present tense, which means that Jesus is our continual advocate. In fact, we have, we brothers and sisters in Christ. We possess continually Jesus Christ as our advocate. It's okay, a quote, Bruce Hurst. He says we have an ever-available appointed advocate. Available appointed advocate. Okay, available appointed advocate. Okay, Jesus is our our AAA, so to speak. Right? What does that word mean? Advocate. Literally, it means one who comes alongside, one who comes alongside another. There's actually no single English word that conveys the exact range of meaning of this Greek word, paraclete. But it it describes one who is there to help, who stands by to give aid, someone who is summoned to the side of another for that help, to comfort, to encourage, counsel, Or intercede for, depending on the need. So, as I give you that description there, some of you have different Bible translations which are all trying to capture that that word, advocate, paraclete. It means comforter, means counselor. Other translations say helper. So, while Satan accuses and attacks us, Jesus is our ever ready advocate. God knows we need help to defend us from sin to aid in our recovery when we do sin. And so we have that advocate, Jesus, the Righteous One, who is our intercessor. And that's part of what an advocate does. Listen to Hebrews 7, verse 25. You might want to jot that one down. Hebrews seven twenty-five says, Therefore he, Jesus, is able also to save forever, Save completely those who draw near to God through him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. And Jesus always lives. He's ascended up in heaven. He's always living to make intercession for believers. You can attach to that Romans 8 verse 34 as well. Romans 8:34, Paul writes, "Christ Jesus is He who died. Yes, rather, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. I think I mentioned that verse last Sunday about the ascension. He's at the right hand of God, but then Paul says, who also intercedes for us. While Jesus was on earth, he accomplished the provision for our salvation for all who would believe. And now he's ascended to heaven in his new ministry. He's continually mediating for all believers, for all of his own, all of his sheep, as our eternal high priest. One might say that he's continually pleading our case, as it were, before the Father. And just to draw out some implications of that, as we consider our daily lives, dear Faith Bible Church family, okay, the, the pull of sin and the pain of sin. Okay, don't we feel that literally every day of our lives? It's like a it's like a magnet, right? And then we receive the consequences of sin. And it's like pain. Right? We read Psalm 32 earlier. Uh we continue to bear those two heavy burdens, even though we're saved. Okay? Um, and even though ultimately the power and beauty of christ is that he has removed the penalty he's removed the ultimate punishment for our sins amen hallelujah yes he's removed that forever and yet we continue to experience the presence of sin in our lives that pull and that pain and so we're not going to be rid of that until we're glorified in heaven so as pilgrims in this life, we are making progress in our sanctification. At least we should be. And we'll, we're still dealing with our flesh, with struggles, with doubts sometimes, with temptations that are ever-present. Glorification is the final stage of our salvation when we'll no longer be battling those fleshly sins. But how we look forward to that day when that pull, that pain, that pain, That presence of sin is gone. It's removed in glory that God has promised, right? First John three, verse two. I want to just jot this one down for uh, encouragement. John writing again, beloved, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. First John three, verse two. And as uh, we introduced that song, Uh, a few Sundays ago. uh, The chorus says, When we've arrived, stunned and surprised, all things resolved in the blink of an eye, no more distractions, no sin left to fight, at the first glimpse of Jesus, when faith becomes sight. What a wondrous, incredible day that will be. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Hey, what what joy it will be on that day. But in the meantime, we're still in the battle, right? We still got ourselves to kill, to die to every single day. We still have flesh to mortify, right? God doesn't tell us. Just go easy on your sin. Take it easy on yourself. Just love yourself a little more. No, he says, kill your sin. Mortify your flesh. Make no provision for it. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need still to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. So what great news is it that Jesus has paid the penalty for it. Right? We never, never pay the debt that we owed God. And... What great news it is as well that even though we still feel that pain and that pull, those temptations, the presence of sin, we have support from our ascended Lord Jesus. We're fully supported by the King himself. So I want us to take great comfort and assurance and motivation uh, to continually depend on Christ. Okay, the security of our salvation comes from our Lord's continual intercession for us. Uh, We could not save our own souls in the first place and we cannot keep our own souls in the second place. Jesus is the power to save and he's the power to keep saved. So the Bible tells us in those verses we looked at, eternally, perpetually, the ascended Jesus is interceding for believers before the Father in heaven. It's like he's saying to the Father when we sin, that goes on my account. My sacrifice has already paid for it. And so I don't want this to make us think that we have no responsibility when we sin. Of course we do, right? It's clear in Scripture that we read Psalm 32, 1 John 1, 9, which we should have just in our hearts and in our minds all the time. It says if we confess our sin... He is faithful and just, faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so that's telling us that we as believers are needing to be in a a lifestyle of repentance, of going to God and asking for forgiveness, apologizing, seeking forgiveness for the sins that we commit on a daily basis. That is to be our lifestyle of repentance. We must do that. But along with that, even when we don't have the words? We don't know what exactly to say, or the burden is so great that we've sinned. Okay, that we just we see in Scripture with David and other Psalm writers. Um, we have to know in our spiritual weakness, Jesus is forever being our mediator. Okay, without ceasing, He pleads for us. Hebrews 7:20. He lives to intercede for us. He's standing between God and man constantly constantly interceding for his own who are weak. So as incredible as it is, as I was thinking once again this week about Jesus preparing for me, for me, for you, preparing a dwelling place, a particular space in heaven for us, in his Father's house, awaiting to personally welcome us with open arms in that special dwelling room that he's made, it's incredible also to me that he's still working on our behalf in this way, advocating for us, okay, interceding for us. We wouldn't make it to glory without him being that eternal high priest. So, in this role as advocate, Jesus helps us in our infirmities, our weaknesses, dealing with the whole scope of our struggles. Hey, it's specific things. It's just general things that we are having a hard time with, with which he takes care of. Hey, the ascension of Jesus matters very much because he's continually, always, without ceasing, pleading for our deliverance, mediating for us constantly. Hey, so his ascension does matter for our spiritual lives, our walk, our work, our witness. And it's not only because Jesus, the Son, is now interceding for us as our advocate, but the second reason, the second reason is because Jesus sends the Holy Spirit down to indwell and empower us. John 16, verse 7. And Jesus tells the disciples in the upper room there before he goes to be crucified. John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So who is the Helper? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And that word Helper, again, is paraclete, advocate, someone who's called to the aid of another. Same word there. John 14, a couple chapters earlier, but it's the same night in that upper room. John 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, another advocate. Right? And so, actually, the Holy Spirit is not uh, only from Jesus, but also from the Father. And we don't have only one advocate helper but we have two Jesus the son and the holy spirit John 14:16 goes on it says that he may be with you forever that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you John 14:16 and a few verses later Jesus says in verse 26 that same chapter but the helper the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name again jesus saying the father and the son sends the spirit in that perfect triunity of purpose and so and i love that he says the holy spirit whom the father right the holy spirit is not just this immaterial impersonal force the force be with you no this is the third person of the trinity Holy Spirit. So that passage in John 14 is quite packed, but the point for now is that after Jesus ascends, the Holy Spirit comes down. And where does He, where does the Spirit land? Well, Jesus says to His disciples, He abides with you and will be in you. And that was true for the 12 that He was, 11 that He was talking to, and it's true for all. New Testament believers, and this is a little bit of a distinction in the Holy Spirit's ministry, the new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit, because in the Old Testament, when we read about the the believers, then it did not appear that the Holy Spirit always was residing in the, the believers in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the promise, the new covenant promise and ministry of the Holy Spirit is that he would dwell in us and abide in us and be with us forever. So sometimes you read in the Psalms, the, the, whether it's David or whoever else, asking that the God's Spirit would not leave them. Uh, or we, we read that Saul had the Spirit in him and he was gone. And so it was different back then. This is uh, the distinction between Old Covenant ministry and New Covenant. And it's very, very good for us to know okay, uh, that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And it's not just there in John 14 where Jesus tells his disciples, but um in 1 Corinthians 3:16, 1 Corinthians 3:16, Paul asks, "Do you not know that you, believers, are a temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Lives in you?" When in doubt, read it out. Okay, 1 Corinthians 3:16. Later in Corinthians, again chapter 6 verse 19, Paul asks another question, And he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? So part of the truth there, along with the Holy Spirit of God making his dwelling place, his home inside of us as his temple, um, we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to God, and he is in us. So this is a supernatural event that happens at the moment of salvation for all those who place their trust and faith in Jesus Christ alone. And the Spirit of God comes to live in us. It's an irreversible change. He's not going to leave us. God, Jesus, promises never to leave us or forsake us. He says the Holy Spirit will be with you and in you forever. And to our point of why this matters for our spiritual lives, hey, what is the Spirit doing in us, believers? What is He doing? Hey, he, he works in us to sanctify us. He's working in us in our spiritual lives. Listen to Romans 8, verse 4. Romans 8, verse 4, in that wonderful concluding chapter of sanctification right chapter 6 through 8 of romans is about sanctification romans 8 verse 4 he says so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit hey this is after chapters 4 and 5 where we've been justified and later on in romans 8 verse 9 he says however you are not in the flesh but in the spirit If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, and then in verse 13, same chapter, Romans 8, he says, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh, our sin, you will live. And then just little sister epistle to Romans, Galatians. Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. Paul writing again, he says, but I say... Walk by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Galatians five sixteen and 17. So the point is that the Holy Spirit helps us. He's working in us to sanctify us. And what does that word sanctify mean anyway? It means to set us apart. He set us apart for worship, to set us apart to walk in holiness, to set up, set us apart to work and serve by the Spirit for the glory of God, and also to witness for Him. And so we need to be set apart from the world and the ways of the world, and this is what the Holy Spirit does in us. To live in holiness, as we read I think earlier in Sunday School in 1 Peter, right, one sixteen, as it is written, you are to be holy as I am holy. We are to have purity as believers, integrity, wholeness, oneness. We are to be different from non-believers who do not have the Holy Spirit of God living in them. And we are well aware of the old phrase that Christians are forgiven not perfect. And yes, this is true. I've said that many a times uh, to assure non-believers that we don't think we're better than anyone else. Hey, we're certainly not arrived. We're not perfect. Yes, that is true. But Christians also, we should add to that, are, should be, striving for holiness. It's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. We are to be progressing in our spiritual walks, in our personal purity. We are convicted by the Spirit to put off things that are not pleasing to our Lord God. And so the Holy Spirit is setting us apart from the world, and that means we are losing our attraction to the things of the world. We, We are not engrossed and consumed and in love with, the things of this world 1 John 2 right 15 it's it's a command do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the boastful pride of life is not from the father but is from the world so we are being set apart even in our affections for things now we are we are in love with the things of eternity and the things that Jesus loves and God loves. And that's our affection more and more and more. And so the Holy Spirit also sets us apart, not only from the world and sin and the things of the world, but also sets apart two certain things. Sets us apart for good works, that other W, right? For good works, to be zealous for them. I'm just uh, reminded here of... Uh, a verse from Titus, Titus chapter 2. And it says that um, we we look for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, Titus 2, verse 13 and 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, right? So we're set apart from our sin, the lawless, the sinful, evil things that we do, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession we're zealous for good deeds. Okay, we're set apart for good works, to be passionate, to serve God, to, to do good works. And so this, is, this means we are set apart by the Holy Spirit to serve the church, to build up the church. Okay, this is part of edification. And we're set apart for works of compassion and love for others a ministering to those in the church and outside of the church. And just by the way, I'm so encouraged when I see our Faith Bible Church Saints loving one another and serving each other, ministering to each other, sacrificing time and energy. And um, like I said, our, our directions, our instructions, our commands, our purpose as a church is clear, couldn't be any clearer, and yet, it's, it's not easy. Those of you who are in that hard work of laboring and ministering to each other in very practical and heavy ways and come upon different challenges, you know how difficult it is to be steadfast and persevere in that ministry and serving others. It takes much patience, much compassion, much love. And dear, dear ones who are doing that, Jesus is your advocate. The Holy Spirit is in you. And he's working with you and for you. And be encouraged, be comforted by that as you persevere. So the Holy Spirit sets us apart for those things and for evangelism, okay, to reach the lost, for our witness. Okay, we're called to be ambassadors. That's part of us walking faithfully, Okay, an ambassador, a representative of Christ. So that means we don't go and spread the gospel and live a life of sin. Okay. Or it doesn't mean, oh, I'm living in sin, so I don't spread the gospel. No, it means be purified. Okay, walk in the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but know that it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And so we do both. Okay? And God is with us. He's inter- Jesus is interceding for you, dear ones. Don't be discouraged. Hey, be lifted up today in that truth of Jesus' ascension. He's with you. He's for you. He even says it in the Great Commission, right? When he tells you to go make disciples, he doesn't leave you alone. He says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end, the very end of the age. So we need, we need him. And so what, what great assurance that is. We have spirit empowered enableness to go and share the good news of Christ, and do the work of witnessing for him. So the ascended Lord Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be present with his people. And what a great gift, what a great present that is. And he empowers us to do his work, to stay on mission, to remember our purpose, and to transform us to live these lives as born-again Christians, lives that reflect our King. So lastly, why does Christ's ascension matter to our spiritual lives? Not only is he our advocate now in heaven interceding for us, not only does he send down the Holy Spirit to live in us and empower us and enable us to do his work, but lastly, because the ascension anticipates Jesus' return to earth to reign. It anticipates Jesus' return to earth to reign. So let's go back to where we started last Sunday. Want to turn there with me? Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Once again, this is the clearest description of Jesus physically, bodily, literally ascending to heaven. And the two angels are there with the 11. And they're saying, they said to the disciples in Acts one eleven, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So um, you want to pair that up with Revelation 1 verse 7. Okay, speaking of the ascension again and where else it is in Scripture and what it promises. Revelation 1, verse 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. So notice that. Doesn't that beautifully fit together as we just read Acts one eleven and how Jesus ascended with the clouds, with the disciples, like physically, visibly watching him go up? Well, Revelation 1 verse 7 says he is coming with the clouds. And it says every eye will see him. Everyone, not just disciples, not just believers, but visibly see him coming back, right? And chapter 19, which we all know and love, and when we did our um, study of eschatology, the end times, uh, a few months ago as we finished, um, towards the end of Mark's gospel. Revelation 19, once again, verse 11. John writes as he's looking into the future, is given a vision of the future, and it says, verse 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges, and wages war. In his eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And just uh, verse 15 from his mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it he may strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Lastly, verse 16, And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So we know that when Jesus comes back to earth in his second advent, his second coming, we know that it's going to be in judgment, and it's going to be to rule on earth, So we read in Revelation chapter 20 for a 1,000 year reign, 1,000 year kingdom, the millennial kingdom. So Jesus' ascension is a picture and promise of that future return. What happened there at his ascension is what is to be expected at his second coming. 1 Corinthians 15 calls it parousia, his presence. Okay, the resurrected Christ is going to return in glory, and His return is going to have the same characteristics, like I just said, that we just read in Acts one eleven. So, how does this affect our walk, our spiritual lives, um, our works, our witness? Well, as we await and anticipate His return, uh, Jesus has clear instructions clear commands um in his parables in matthew chapter 25 and elsewhere but particularly in matthew 25 there's those parables about being prepared and ready for his return the master's return um we are to be watchful we're to be waiting and that doesn't mean twiddling our thumbs just waiting around or um just crossing our legs but it means being on the alert that's the meaning of being prepared, being on the alert, being watchful. Uh, the parable of the talents, right? Not like that servant who buried the talent that he was given into the ground and had nothing to offer his master when he returned, but rather with whatever talents he's given to us, whatever resources, whatever abilities, whatever anything, finances he's given to us, it, it would be so that we might produce some offerings for him when he comes back or when we see him. Okay, considering and thinking about our ascended and beloved king um, and his return, it should further motivate us to work on our walk and also to work as a witness to spread the gospel to all who don't know him. Okay? Because at the end of that parable... When he speaks to the faithful slaves, what does he tell them? But well, good, well done, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I think sometimes we forget that part or leave that part out. But what a reward that is to enter into the joy of our master, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, I may have posed this thought question in the past, but I think it's worth to bring up again. Uh, regarding the return of Christ, um, if someone were to ask you, why do you want the Lord Jesus to return? Um, similarly, why do you want to go be with the Lord? And, you know, there's lots of reasons that I've heard uh, in the past. And, you know, usually young folks, they would say, no, wait. I don't necessarily want the Lord to come quickly because I want to learn how to do this or that. Right. I want to I want to go skydiving or I want to go scuba diving or I want to meet the love of my life. Right. I want to I want to get married. I want to accomplish this. I want to do that. I want to travel. I want to meet such and such person. I haven't done enough. There's so much I want to do. Um maybe other reasons for older folks to say, no, don't don't wait, Lord, come and come quickly, as soon as possible. So I'm I'm getting up there, Lord. I'm I'm finished. I'm I'm done with the race. I'm ready for you now. I've done all that I wanted to do. Okay, others and the Lord understands all of this, right? I'm I'm kind of getting sick of this. Sin stained world, Lord. Everything's going wrong and upside down. I'm tired of it. I just want to depart. Okay, so in general, the younger folks say wait. In general, the older folks say come and come quickly as soon as possible. ASAP. Which is better? Well, it depends on our motivations, right? And maybe in some of those things, perhaps, there could be some hints of of wrong motivations, not exactly pleasing motivations. And once again, God understands. He knows us inside and out, folks. But um, maybe there's some, some godly good reasons uh, to say wait, right? More time for people to get saved. Right? More glory be to Christ our King. That's why I, I, want, I want him to wait. Uh, I, I want to get more accomplished for, for God. I want to I do more for, for Christ before I'm done. Um, Along with that, I want to have more crowns to to cast before my king when I get to heaven. Like more for him to to put upon his own head when we get to heaven. Uh, Those are good reasons, good motivations. And maybe there are some good and godly reasons to, to say come and come now. right? Also, so that God will be glorified sooner than later. That his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, for sin and wickedness to be done away with. Okay? Maybe we are being righteously and just in a spirit-filled, holy state of, of, of heart, wanting this, this, just the, all the wrongs of this world. And, and even personally for us, uh, for, for that to be done away with and for Jesus to come and rule with righteousness where peace and righteousness and his justice will be the rule rather than the exception here on earth and as we go into the eternal state forever in heaven. Um, Other good and godly reason to say, Lord, come quickly, or Lord, take me to be with you, is because we just want to be with him. (laughs) We want to be with the one that we love the most, and we want to be in the presence of God Without this sin and worshiping Him and loving Him as He ought to be. So, um, so that's just a, a thought question. Maybe we can talk more during our care group time this Wednesday about those things. But, um, as we conclude here and take, uh, our time to consider all of these things as we approach the Lord's table, um, I think we should praise and thank God, thank God together. Thank Jesus for being that advocate in heaven who's continually pleading for us, mediating, interceding. And not only do we have one advocate in heaven, but we have the Holy Spirit being our counselor and our comforter and our helper who's, who's in us. He, he's never far away. and He's at hand. He's with us. And also, we should, we should be motivated, knowing for sure as surely as Jesus ascended into heaven, he's going to come back. And that should propel us and compel us to live faithfully, right? To to walk and work and witness um, in, a, in a zealous way, passionate for the gospel and for our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, that gives us certain comfort and hope that our king will return. He's coming back. Hope in a glorious future, as one writer said. He said the ascended Lord will return as judge and king. He will abolish injustice end suffering and destroy death and set up his kingdom of truth and righteousness and love. And best of all, as I just said, we will all as believers be with our king forever from that day on forevermore. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So that is our uh, conclusion to this uh, little mini series about the ascension of our King Jesus, and I pray that it would hit our hearts and turn into application, right? Um, orthodoxy should always turn into orthopraxy. So we know the doctrine, it should compel us to duty. And so um, let us take all of that into even our time at the Lord's table. And um, as we consider our lives and our hearts this morning, in this past week, uh, let us be quick to confess, quick to repent of our sins. And um, once again, take heart. Jude 23 says, Jude 24, 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray on that. Heavenly Father, we're grateful once again uh, to be able to worship you today and to hear your precious truths, which are so uplifting and encourages our spirits. And I pray that the the truth and the triumph and the reasons given, God, about how the ascension of Christ matters to us today, um, it, it would bless us, Lord, it would much edification for everyone who's heard this message and uh, we would take that out into uh, our lives as we as we leave today but before that as we enter into the the time of our lord's table um, god we want to remember psalm 32 we want to remember just the preciousness of your promise of forgiveness as we come before you you will never turn us away god as we repent and acknowledge our sins. And once again, God, how blessed is the man whose sins have been covered, whose transgressions have been taken care of by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So God, I pray as we come together for this time of communion, it would be just that, communing together in Christ, joining us once again in, in unity Um, of the gospel and the cross and um, in a particular special way we would be drawn into your presence as we remember christ our savior and celebrate the good news that he has atoned for all of our sins every last one of them and even the ones that we've committed today or yesterday or this week and we have the promise of forgiveness and cleansing as we do that. So I ask your blessing on this time, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.